0: Hi, Dr. Singh. Hey, so sorry that I'm late. Oh no, you're totally fine. How are
1: you doing? I'm good, how about yourself? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, Um, yeah, I actually had COVID about a month ago, which just thought would be something that we could chat about. Um, Sorry that you got COVID. Yeah, I am too, but it was a mild case. It wasn't too bad. Good, I'm glad it
2: was mild for you. From Alaska Teen Media Institute, this is Podcast in Place, Youth Stories from Quarantine, a series about youth in Alaska during the COVID-19 pandemic. We're bringing you stories, interviews, and audio diaries from teenagers and young adults stuck at home without anything else to do. I'm Atme producer Quinn White, recording this on my iPhone in Los Angeles where I go to school since the main Atme studio is closed for the time being. When we last heard from Dr. Ann Zink, Alaska's chief medical officer back in June, she said that we were in the second inning of the pandemic. With winter and flu season just around the corner, acme producer Danielle Duclos checked in with Dr. Zink to talk about what inning we're in now, pandemic fatigue, widespread testing, and a possible vaccine. They spoke over Zoom on October 9th, 2020. Let's pick back up on their conversation, talking about Danielle's experience having COVID.
0: What, where do you think you got it? Can you do you have a sense of what you might have done that, or where you might have picked it up?
1: Yeah, so I've I've had a lot of like my doctor asked me that. A lot of people have asked me that. Mm-hmm. I did travel from Alaska through Seattle through Kansas City to Columbia, Missouri. So I did go through all of those points of travel. But I did social distance and wear my mask the whole time and wash my hands. Um, and then I saw about maybe five or six friends in a non-social mm-hmm. distance setting. Um, and then all with the th- masks or without masks without masks so okay. yeah um and then all of a sudden I had COVID so mm-hmm. but none of them ended up getting it from on the same timeline as me they had points of exposure other times ended up getting sick so I'm not 100% sure I have a mm-hmm. feeling but maybe one of them was asymptomatic and did not know mm-hmm. it and gave it to me um mm-hmm. because otherwise I mean i wore my mask the whole time with my roommates and none of them got it. Mm -hmm. So I have a feeling that since I was wearing my mask the whole time I was traveling and being super careful there, I don't think that was how I contracted it, Mm -hmm. but I'm not hundred percent sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I'm glad it was a mild case, but I I do. I mean, I think your story is very similar to a lot of others in the sense that, you know, in what's perceived as a high risk situation, like traveling, people do a really good job Mm distanced and masked, and watch hands but it's those that we're closest to that are feeling totally fine and you're most comfortable with that we start to let our guard down. And really, that asymptomatic, we start to see people, um, you know, just that asymptomatic spread, it's just highly contagious. So, um, yeah, it's just interesting.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, um, speaking of like spread and the mm-hmm. COVID cases kind of spiking in Alaska, where are we now in Alaska with COVID? Where are we at? Um, since we last talked in June, there's been a drastic increase in cases. So do you want to talk about that?
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, there there really have been a large increase in cases. And unfortunately, we're on an acceleration curve right now. And so, you know, we talked at the beginning about, you know, exponential versus linear growth. And I think we as humans think in a linear way, unfortunately, this can really spread exponentially. And we're hitting that exponential spread in the state, which is hard, because once we hit that, it's much harder to control uh, and it's harder to slow it down. So it takes a lot more effort to slow down exponential growth than it does linear growth. So it's not where I would want to be entering this fall, to be totally honest. Um, You know, we people are fatigued, they're tired, they're done. You know, the mental toll of this on everything from youth to healthcare workers to public health team, all are done and tired. Um, so that makes it harder. I think that people have had a lot of experiences where they didn't get COVID. Well, I hung out with my family all summer and I didn't get COVID. So why, why would I worry now? So we've had a lot of negative reinforcement, like these things are fine, And then, but now we've got more COVID spreading, so then they get um, Like you mentioned, you kind of knew, like I was going to college, I was gonna do these things, but I think a lot of Alaskans who are doing the same thing they've been doing all summer are now getting COVID and surprised because they did the same things this summer and didn't get it. So I think that there's, there's some of that happening Our healthcare system is really limited in the state at baseline and so we're seeing we're seeing that stretched uh, because of non-COVID issues right now Um, so just normal kind of healthcare capacity is making the hospitals quite full but then there's a level of kind of anxiety of what that looks like in combination with COVID because do we really have the capacity on top of it to to and it's hard to know, right? It's hard to know if you get a bunch of people like yourself who do great and are fine, no need sure. for hospitalization, we're fine, right? Um, but if you went and visited your grandma during that time, or if you didn't wear your mask around your roommates and then they spread it, then then that risk out goes up. And so uh, there's that. I think unfortunately we're getting to a point not only with the fatigue but stigma associated with COVID,
2: mm-hmm. and so I
0: think that's driving uh, it almost more underground. People don't want to get tested. They don't want to be the person in their class or their school or their hockey team to have it. Um, and I'm really concerned about that because there's no, it's a highly contagious virus. It's not shameful. Mm -hmm. Um, people get it, um, as you can have experience and can attest to. Um, but it's, um, if we, if we put shame to it and we stigmatize it, it's going to be harder to, to prevent it. And so I'm worried about what that looks like uh, as a whole. I also would say in in the set of all of these negatives that I'm saying, I am incredibly hopeful. Um, We are seeing science progress at rapid speed. We have to submit our plan for vaccine uh, on October 16th, which is just around the corner. And we are rapidly ramping up for vaccine distribution. We are starting to build up antigen testing. And I really think that um, by the end of this year, we'll be getting out limited vaccine likely and then by beginning of next year we'll be starting to really start to do much widespread uh, vaccination and the data that's coming out is looking really promising so um we'll see we really want to make sure that we've got good data and go on there but to see the scientific community come together in that space and respond to this challenge is super super hopeful so i actually have a lot of hope despite what we're seeing right now it's um, good i was <laughs> Yeah, like it's like there's we got it. I just like I can see the finish line in the distance and I kind of feel like all of Alaskans are just laying down and like I can't make it. And I'm like, no, the finish line's right there. Like hang in there a little bit longer together. So I'd hate to see us have a lot of hospitalizations and a lot of death when we're getting so much closer to a right. finish line. Uh and to and it's not gonna go away the moment there's a vaccine and it's not gonna be perfect. Um, but uh it's it's gonna help and just like since the beginning of this pandemic, we've had a decrease in hospitalizations, we've had a decrease in deaths. The more we know about this disease, the more we're able to make sure people do okay if they get it, and the more we're able to minimize spread. We're better off now than we were six months ago. And I'm seeing a couple markers along the timeline that look incredibly hopeful. Um, and so I, I just wanna keep reminding people that we're, we're getting there, um, right. and to hang on a bit longer this fall and winter.
1: <laughs> yeah, speaking of that That's finish well. line, um, you mentioned back in our last interview that we were in the second inning of this thing. So in this long baseball game that we're in, where would you say, what inning are we in right now? Fourth or fifth, maybe. Okay. I mean, we're definitely making progress.
0: Like we're, you know, halfway through the marathon. We're halfway through the ballgame. There could be some extra innings. Like there could still be some curveballs with data that's not there, but mm-hmm. I think we're at least halfway it's, I've been thinking a lot more in terms of a marathon recently. Like, you get really tired, <laughs> you know, like the first half goes by easily. Um, and I think people are really tired right now. And then I think as we get really much closer to a vaccine, it's going to be running like that last mile of a marathon where it suddenly seems easy again because you're getting close. We're just getting to that hard part of a marathon right now. And, but that doesn't mean that we haven't come all those miles. That hard work has been done and we're getting closer.
1: So speaking of being tired, um, you mentioned kind of like the pandemic fatigue or COVID fatigue. And for those listening who may not know what that is, that's um, basically the burnout from having to follow all the safety guidelines and the changes in lifestyle that COVID's brought for us. Um, do you think that this is happening to Alaskans? You mentioned it a little bit, but and how does that contribute to spread with people becoming a little bit more lax about social distancing? Or maybe I won't wear my mask at this specific gathering. How does that contribute to what we're seeing right now?
0: I think it's the driver of our cases in so many ways. I mean, I think that that if I could change one thing, it wouldn't be a mandate, it wouldn't be a closed open anything. It would be giving people hope and helping them with the fatigue. I think that that is, that is our biggest challenge right now in the state. You know, um, I miss my parents. I miss giving my friends a hug. Like I, it's not fun uh, in, in that sense. And I think there's a lot of COVID fatigue. I think there's a sense of inevitability, like why try, I'm gonna get it anyway and um, there's no inevitability about this virus or this pandemic. It's just a highly contagious little virus that has no intentionality, and it just lives if we give it a chance to live moving person to person. So we have total control over this pandemic, but it's really what we choose to do. But if we don't have the energy and time to to choose to kind of pull back, it makes it harder, um, and it gives it a chance to continue to live. So yeah, I think that COVID fatigue is really real. I think how we fight it, is we think about the positive and we, you know, I mean, back to like old Mr. Rogers saying of like, you know, Uh when there's trauma, you look for the helpers. Like, right, when my husband learned to ride a motorcycle, he learned like, if you look at the ditch, you're going to go in the ditch. So how do we look at the positive and how do we keep driving to there? So how do we not think about this as the year that you masked up, but the year of resiliency? Like, how can you Like, what are you going to do to make this year a a totally unique and inspiring year for yourself and take care of yourself mentally and physically to have that strength? So maybe you're quarantined or maybe you're not seeing your friends and family. So maybe you're, you know, reading those books that you never got a chance to. And we talked about that this summer, like going (laughs) out and doing new things or, or picking up some, you know, art supplies and doing something different that way. So I don't know, thinking about... I think that COVID fatigue is real, and it's going to be different for each and individual person. I also guess I would add, I think we need to do more processing of the trauma of COVID. This has been hard on everyone, and I think we need to share share our struggles with each other more, um, and and process that. Yeah, it's been hard, and this is not easy. And so we're looking at a state level what ways we can create spaces for that. Communities can create spaces for it. Um, you know, sharing stories and experiences and having it not be numbers, but having it be people and understanding that we're all humans trying to figure out our way through this uh, together. So I think that's the other way we fight it is to acknowledge acknowledge the hardness.
1: Yeah, um, speaking of that and like coming from a summer where it's easy in Alaska to get outside and social distance, and now we are moving into fall and winter. How does that change in seasons affect the way people are practicing social distancing and precautions? And like, what advice do you have for them as we move into this new phase of the pandemic?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think it's going to be a lot harder. You know, at um, you know, I love going to a yoga studio on a cold winter day and having it be warm and be there with other people and um, one of my favorite, I, winter's my favorite season up here because it's when people gather and are together and, uh, you know, everyone's on out, you know, blueberry picking and hunting and fishing and doing all these things, but you're like together. And I, I love that sense. I love the holidays. I, I love that closeness. Um, and I think that's part of the things I love about Alaska. So I think that that's going to be harder. And I think whenever there's something hard, it's easier when you plan for it and you expect it. So this is the time to be having the conversation with your family about what does Thanksgiving look like? What does Christmas look like? What are you comfortable with and what aren't you? What tools can you have to be able to be safe and to think about the spread? So can you work from home for the two weeks before Thanksgiving and, and really quarantine yourself? Even consider getting tested. And then spend all weekend with your family who did exactly the same thing, and 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 love them, and be close with them, and then do that if you can all do that, you know. And then at the end, quarantine for two more weeks afterwards, and work from home if your job allows you to do that, and if you can. If it doesn't, so like for myself, um, my family and I are going to be separate on Thanksgiving. They're going to be quarantining and seeing, you know, my parents and his parents because they can. So I'm going to work an ED shift because it's a chance that I can give to my community and to be there for them and to be around other people on a day that's really important to me. So it's a different Thanksgiving. I won't be with my family, but it's a way that I can feel connected and meaningful. So so make a plan for what that looks like for you and your family now to be connected. And then also thinking about what ways you can... Um, you can stay active and mentally and physically healthy this winter and what what that will look like and that may be different Um, so maybe it's the year to you know pick up snow biking or maybe it's the year to pick up some indoor activity this isn't going to be every winter and year but what way can you use that this year as we start to move indoors
1: And so a big hot topic, quote unquote, surrounding COVID has been testing and Alaska has been doing pretty well, higher than the national average. Um, So could you talk about why it's important for our state to have widespread frequent testing available and for people to actually use it? (laughs)
0: Well, I like how you put in that last part because it's one thing for me to put it out there, but if people don't use it, it's not super useful. And we really have seen a decline in people being willing to get tested here recently. And that's of concern. We have more testing available than before, but people aren't getting tested. So we need people to get tested. I think of testing as kind of like the headlights on your car. And so if you're going super slow, and we've talked about car analogies previously with seatbelt and the rest of it, um, that it just it doesn't prevent it it doesn't prevent you getting sick or others but it shows you where you're going and it helps other people know you're there so if my brights are on on the highway and i know i'm covid positive it lets me know that i'm infected and i need to not share it to others and it also empowers me to let my contacts know that they have the power to stop that infection by quarantining they're kind of the superheroes in this this pandemic they stop the infection where they where it's at by quarantine for 14 days and so they're like nope we're not letting this go and so that quarantining is the power to stop this pandemic and but you don't you can't quarantine if you didn't know that you're close contact with it and so that's why that's part of the reason that testing is important the testing is also important in the sense it gives us a sense of kind of where things are spreading and what things are happening what we saw in New York and Italy and many places early on is that when you didn't have access to widespread testing and we also see this when people don't want to get tested so it kind of goes underground is it asymptomatically spreads until suddenly so many people who are vulnerable have it, it completely overwhelms the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. And then it can take a month or more to move out. And so part of how we have minimized overwhelming the system in Alaska, it's just having our lights on, knowing where we're going and where cases are. So we can be like, this is the outbreak. How can we respond to this? This is the next outbreak. And that's how we've really kept when we have the lowest case fatality rate in the country. We have some of the lowest mortality per capita. Like in, I think, I haven't checked it today, but we were the lowest case fatality rate uh, in, the, in the country. And, and so that's simply because we know where we're going, um, but we need people to engage in that. I think it's also important to remember that just because you feel this way right now and you're starting to have symptoms and maybe a month ago you felt that way and you had symptoms and you got tested and it was negative doesn't mean it's going to be negative again this time. And so particularly as cases rise, it's even more important to get tested and that a test isn't perfect. We saw this with the White House outbreak that you can have testing every single day of those you know, people coming in and uh, you can still have false negatives and have it spread. Not as much this if you don't test. So a test isn't as much preventative as it is just helping us all stop this outbreak as a whole and giving you the power to empower your loved ones to not spread it to others. I mean, who do you want to protect more than your friends and family? And by getting tested, you protect them. Um, And and that's the reason to get tested.
1: Yeah. I'll definitely attest to the having had something that looked like symptoms and having a negative test result because that's what happened to me back in Alaska. Mm -hmm. And then I came here and I started having a little bit of sniffles, and I was like, well, I kind of get allergies when I come back here, so I didn't take it, I didn't think, you know, it was anything, but then I started losing my taste and smell, and boom, I was like, I need to go get tested, and that's what really alerted me to it, but I've had tons of friends who've been completely asymptomatic, and wouldn't have known to go get tested unless they had had that close contact, tell them, so.
0: Do you think people are um, not wanting to get tested, or what do you
1: think the stigma is happening, or do you think that that's real or not real? Um, I think there's definitely a big thing of not wanting to get tested. I think a lot of people have like they're afraid to know that they have it or of the guilt. I definitely felt some guilt after having gotten it, even though I did pretty much everything I was supposed to or thought I was supposed to. I think there's like part of it like if I don't know about it, then it's not an issue I have to deal with. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I would say what my school did is we had a huge surge in cases in August and September when everyone was coming back. Like we were, I think per capita, the sixth worst outbreak in the nation, my little college town for a while there. So what do you say to people who are thinking, well, why don't we just reopen everything and just kind of let the virus run its course and do its thing? What, Mm -hmm. why wouldn't we do that? What, what is as a public health official, why is that not like the course of action?
0: It's a great question, right? In some ways, it would be so much easier. I mean, trust me, my days would be shorter if we just did that. There's lots of reasons, that I can see why that is a, a, an argument that there. Most people do well. Like you did really well, right? You had very mild symptoms. You did well, and most people aren't hospitalized. Most people don't die. Most people do do really well. The problem with that is that we know right now, you know, the case fatality rate is at least 10 times influenza. So we know that a lot more people are going to get sick and die. We also don't know how this disease affects people. So young healthy people can have heart and lung issues and young healthy people can die as well. And if we just let it run its course, I think that the cost of human life for that as well as um, the overwhelming of the system and then people not able to get treated for a heart attack or for stroke or for other things is also going to then add to the mortality and will overrun the system. If I had a healthcare system that had ample beds and we had plenty of availability, that Mm -hmm. would be potentially a different thing, but I can't build, there's no 3D printer for ICU docs. There is no 3D printer for nurses, and so I can't build them right away, and so we don't have that space, and we just don't know that much about this virus as of right now. Mm
1: -hmm. So I
0: think the risk calculation for a five-year-old is different than the risk calculation for a 20-year-old, which is different than a six-year-old, but the thing is, is we're all interconnected, and so we all have to find our way together through this as a whole, and so what ways do we use minimally invasive things like free, accessible to testing if you've got any symptoms, a mask, distancing, good air ventilation to allow the majority of things to happen without any problem, but use these small tools uh, to be able to minimize that impact. And the other thing is we're so close to a vaccination. <laughs> like, you know, if we were five years off, I would say, okay, like we're gonna have to tolerate that more, but we are close and there is a lot of promise on the front of that. Um, and again, I would rather COVID today than six months ago, because people are less likely to die now. They're less likely to be hospitalized now, and we have more treatment options. And I would rather get COVID six months from now than today, because we will have six months more of data and information and the rest of it. So there's a lot of reasons to try to push off those cases, particularly if there's things that we can do that are minimally invasive to people's lives. And I'm not saying that the closure and The frustrations aren't minimally, they're incredibly invasive. But we know that when economies do well, when people are healthy, and when people are healthy, economies do well. And so these tools, it's not us versus each other, it's us versus the virus. And people aren't gonna go back to bars and restaurants if they're sick or if they're afraid of getting sick. And so what ways can we make sure that they're safe places to be so that people do feel comfortable and safe going back to these places? And that they aren't gonna get COVID and aren't gonna spread it. So it's that that is what I say to why we don't do it. I don't, I don't think it's gonna help our economy to let it spread rapidly. I don't think it's gonna help our health to spread rapidly. I think there's gonna be a huge loss of life. I don't see benefit to it, um, particularly because we've got very minimally invasive tools that make a difference. Like you mentioned, you wore a mask around your roommates and they didn't get it. Exactly. Like That says something right there, right? Like those are people you're living with and you wore a mask and you kept, like that kept it away. So, you know, I mean, I traveled to Fairbanks yesterday. Percent positivity is high, it's sky high. I didn't take off my mask for any reason. I stayed six feet apart, except for quick pictures where we had our masks on and we're like within three feet of each other for a couple (laughs) seconds and then moved back apart. And we were in big rooms. We didn't carpool, we spent our own time. So there are ways that we can interact with each other that I think are pretty safe and allow us to connect and do the things we need to do. And then we do as much as we can that is safely done via things like this um, so that we can continue to move forward.
1: Speaking, you mentioned flu a little bit earlier and fall and either flu season that meets upon us. I got my flu shot today and it's right around the corner. Um, So how is this flu season gonna be different with COVID on top of it? And what should people be doing differently or maybe emphasizing more this flu season because of the current situation we're in?
0: It's a great question i think there's two ways to think about it there's the individual and then there's a system way to think about it so from an individual perspective the things you can do the biggest thing is get a flu vaccine Um, and so those are out they're free they're available they're really there you already got yours um they're perfect so they don't prevent 100 percent of cases but they're pretty effective and they really minimize your chance of being hospitalized or dying in alaska we had 11 people die from influenza last year three children. Um, we had people, adults between ages 23 and in their 80s die of influenza. And so you can see a huge range of people who can pass away from flu. We know that flu is more likely to kill little kids than COVID, and so particularly little kids are at higher risk, and it's really important to get there. The other things we're doing for COVID are gonna help with flu, to be honest, too. So hand washing's good, mask wearing works, and also for influenza, so do the COVID things for flu, too, and I think that that's gonna help. There's a big question out if flu is gonna really dramatically decrease for uh, the upcoming future. We saw very little influenza activity in the Southern Hemisphere this winter because everyone was doing everything that they needed to for COVID, and so we saw very little. And even here in Alaska, our influenza numbers plummeted when we started to wear a mask, wash our hands, and distance all at the beginning of it. And, so, and there's a lot less international travel. So will we right. see less cases up here? There, that is potential, but we'll have to see. The other thing from a societal and big system standpoint is, as I mentioned, our healthcare capacity is limited. And so we want to make sure we have as many beds as available. So that means making sure your chronic medical conditions are controlled, your asthma is controlled, your high blood pressure is controlled. That means wearing a helmet when you're on an ATV or a snow machine or out biking. And that also means getting your flu shot because all of those are risks that might take up a bed and we might not have beds moving on. So you want to do what we can to, to help protect the healthcare system as a whole. And those are all things that the individual can do.
1: There's been so much information that people have been bombarded with about COVID and not all of it is necessarily reliable or trustworthy or true. So how can people, especially youth, who tend to cling to social media, combat misinformation about COVID and stick to you know, the real, the truth, and what we actually know about the virus?
0: Yeah, I think that that's a great question and it's really hard. I had another meeting with a bunch of great youth leaders the other day and we were talking the same question about, you know, social media and the rest of it. I think that the truths about COVID are pretty simple. I mean, it's a virus. Uh, It tends to spread person to person. You know the things to do to minimize it, you know, and I think having simple messaging is useful. So like we'll often say, you know, do the three W's, wear a mask, wash your hands and wash your space, avoid the three C's close congregate, uh, close settings, uh, close spaces, congregate settings, and close contacts, like avoiding those three things. So I think that those are all consistently out there. For the, all the misinformation out there, I like to think of it, there is, there is real misinformation that's like intentionally being propagated. But there's also a lot of what I, I call citizen scientists who are like, I want to be engaged in this. And I, I, this is what I'm seeing. And this is why I see this. And I see each of those as an opportunity to engage, to understand why people think what they do and to share information. Mm -hmm. So if someone sees something, if you see something on social media from someone you trust or know and you disagree with it or you see something else, I think engaging in a healthy conversation, such as calling them up (laughs) instead of doing it in a public place on social media or on separate messenger and be like, hey, I saw this, you don't believe masks work. Can you tell me more about why you don't think that is and understand where they're coming from and ask them like the whys and the hows. And I find that most times we have so much more in common than we have apart. And when people ask open-ended questions to understand it, we don't write each other off and we need to not write each other off. We are all human, we all feel pain, we all are struggling with this and we all just see different bits and pieces of information and that makes us better. Like that, that helps us to see the whole picture. So I would encourage you to engage in a respectful conversation with people who see differently than you are sharing information about where they're getting it, what that looks like. Uh, and then I, I do think our trusted sources are good. I, I think there's been a lot of harsh criticism for CDC and WHO and other things, and they're not perfect. They're run by humans. <laughs> like there's been missteps, but they have a lot of good information out there, and there's a lot of good resources from trusted sources that I think are good people doing good things most of the time that you can rely on. So I would use trusted sources.
1: Awesome. Well, is there anything else you want to add or say or something you want to touch on? Yeah, well, I appreciate
0: it. And I always appreciate these conversations. I I learned a lot from our last conversation and um, I am always curious on, you know, we see this pandemic continue to be really driven in the 20 to 29 age group. And I think that there has been this shaming or what is it that I could do? And I would love to be able to share and for you all to share success stories of things that work well to mitigate the disease. Because I I really think our youth have taken the brunt of this (laughs) from, you know, like college and things changing and, you know, responsibility for not killing your elders. And why are you driving the pandemic? Like all of these (laughs) other things it's not fair to put on your shoulders. Um, but the creativity and the inspiration of youth is what gets me out of bed today and makes me, you know, and my friend of mine's like, we have card night every night on zoom with my friends. And it's a blast, you know, like they do like just what ways can you be creative and fun together? So I would love to hear from your listeners about great, positive ideas and ways that people are, are figuring this out together. And would love to hear more stories about what COVID has meant in different people's lives. So thank you for bringing that out in this space and doing this podcast, because I think it's it's as important as any mitigation that we have right now. So thanks for doing it.
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. Yeah, thanks for being flexible on the timing, too. (laughs) Well,
0: thanks so much, Dr. Zink. Yeah, no problem. Talk to you later. Thank you.
2: That was At Me producer Daniel Duclos speaking with Alaska's Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Ann Zink. You've been listening to Podcast in Place Youth Stories from Quarantine from Alaska Teen Media Institute. Our show's theme music was composed by Devin Schreckengost. Stay tuned for more stories from quarantined youth. You can find these stories at alaskateenmedia.org, where we have included resources for youth during quarantine as a part of a partnership with the State of Alaska Division of Behavioral Health. Alaska Teen Media Institute is based in Anchorage, Alaska. We would like to acknowledge the Dena'ina people whose land we work on. Many thanks to the supporters of our podcast, including the Anchorage Museum at Rasmussen Center, United Way of Anchorage, the Alaska Humanities Forum, and the National Endowment for the Humanities. The views expressed in this program do not necessarily represent the views of the National Endowment for the Humanities or other sponsors. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Anchorage and help keep our podcast going, you can donate to our organization by going to alaskateenmedia.org and clicking donate. Also on our website, you can learn more about what our organization does, listen to past episodes of our podcast, or find out how you too can get involved. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Quinn White. Thanks for listening. Remember, think like zinc, stay safe out there. We'll get through this together.